Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jason Zinneman is the comedy critic for the New York Times, and he's written a new book about David Letterman, which will come out in April 2017. But first, Zinneman joined me once again to close the book on 2016. Who was the most valuable performer in comedy in 2016? Who were the standout stand-ups? We discussed the year's work by Amy Schumer, Kate McKinnon, Jeff Ross, Maria Bamford, Tig Notaro, Donald Glover, Reggie Watts, Chris Rock, and Louis C.K., plus stars on the rise. And Zinneman challenged me to define whether our current comedy boom is still booming or whether the bubble is ready to bust. So let's get to it! So here we are, Jason Zinneman, back in your apartment for the second annual Last Things First podcast, Comedy MVPs of the Year. This is my favorite holiday holiday <laughs> tradition. This is, I mean, once I, you know, this is better than the gifts under the tree, I think. <laughs> <laughs> now that now that I'm pretty sure Santa's not real, oh. although I have to be quiet because my daughters are downstairs. But the uh, but Star Wars is, and Rogue One is. Have you seen it? I, yeah, it's tremendous. Is it it's, really? It's my favorite Star Wars movie. Come on, <laughs> Sean. Don't, did, did you get paid off by the studio? No. It's your face. It's better than Empire. Yes. D- it's d- not perfect. I wrote, I wrote this online. Defend that claim. I, I wrote this online. It's not perfect. Because in, 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 in hindsight, you can't watch Empire without, without seeing its, its tragic flaws. Which are? Uh, the incest. <laughs> That, that's a flaw? <laughs> I, I thought that's, a, that's the best part about it. <laughs> With George Lucas seemingly knowing where the story is going, he still put that in there. Well, there, I haven't seen it yet, but, there, but isn't there a lot of Darth Vader? Uh, there is. Yeah, that, I, I, I got excited when I it's heard not, that. It's not perfect. I have a couple minor quibbles, but... Um. But the thing I put, cause I've heard people like you say it's incredible, but I've also heard some critics... I've heard it's like, it's, it's also like this doesn't depart too dramatically from... The Star Wars template. Oh no, it's it's it fits very much within the chronology. Yeah, it's not it. like a shocking departure. It's just really good. What you're and I know those of you who are tuning in to the comics, comic <laughs> presents last things first are wondering why I am sitting with the comedy critic for the New York Times and we're talking about Star Wars instead of comedy. Well, in fact, spoiler alert: we've been talking about comedy the whole time because Rogue One brings up the allegories of good and evil. <laughs> That have kind of permeated 2016. That's true. You didn't mention the Ray Romano cameo. <laughs> <laughs> he is, he's Darth Vader's cousin. Actually, yeah. that was Pete Holmes doing it at Ray <laughs> Romano impersonation. Can I actually, I, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a transition to make this relevant to comedy. Yes. I officially declare comedians doing bits about how big a Star Wars nerd they are mm-hmm. hack. <laughs> I'm not gonna say who, but I recently watched a special that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe on C, so I don't know what it was. It's a good comedian, mm-hmm. but I was like, but he's did another, I was, you know, when Pat Oswalt did this, however many years ago, right. it was great. And then I just feel like I, so many comedians have turned, it's, and here's the, here's the cold hard truth of the matter. Mm-hmm. If you're a Star Wars nerd, if you're a Star Wars nerd, you're, you run the world. 
There, there's no, you're not an outsider. You're not an you're not a weirdo. You're not an eccentric. Mm. You are the patriarchy. You are you know the, you, the, you, there's nothing quirky or odd or strange. Right, about Star Wars it. is is not a nerd thing. It's fully mainstream. It's the most main. It's, 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 you're the you're the oppressor. There's there's nothing. It's so oppressive. It's a Disney product exactly now. and there's still people i have friends who who still think it's like oh it's like wearing a bow tie you know <laughs> it's this odd thing that you do you know no it's not mm-hmm. odd but uh anyways comedians still go to it yeah as like the go-to i think it's i think pat Oswalt what was the final <laughs> word on it <laughs> well pat Oswalt had a pretty uh eventful 2016 as well this is true um, good, good transition but uh when we met last year we we struck up this conversation about um the, who is the most valuable comedian of the year? Instead of like, who are the best comedians out there right now? Like, who really dominated the year? Who would be the most valuable performer in the world of comedy? Uh, we also discussed a, uh, a parallel universe where they could be looked at as the humor version of the Heisman Trophy. Right. The most outstanding person in the, in the industry. And we, we definitely agreed that the 2015 was the year of Amy Schumer. Where does Amy Schumer fall on your 2016 ballot? I'm did surpri- she? I'm surprised you remember this. Did she? Did she? Uh, <laughs> did she pull in a repeat performance on your ballot? Where? I mean, I, I kind of feel like she's still the, the. I mean, in the absence of anyone who's who's risen, who, mm-hmm. who was who hasn't already been a dominant uh, player. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure there's somebody who is. I mean, she's had a, uh, she's had a pretty up and down year. She's had, I mean, I think she's had, I, I thought she was, you know, if we're looking just at strict comedy. Right. Um, at stand-up, I would say it was a really good year for her because she, uh, the, the, the show that I saw her do, the stadium show I saw her do in DC, uh, revealed her kind of adjusting to the huge room. Which I think is actually an interesting trend that now, you know, it used to be this really unusual thing to play Madison Square Garden. Right. Now you've got these, uh, performers who played not only they played Madison Square Garden, but they played it multiple times or they played, uh, places that big multiple times. And I would argue it's its own skill to, pl- for a comedian to play a room that big. And there's only like right. a small elite who've done it many times. And, and what you see is if you watch the Kevin Hart, you saw, you watch these guys. They get better. They learn how to be more theatrical. Their first show is often just like the transplanted show from the club. And I was impressed how Schumer tr- came up with bits that she never would have done at Gotham or at Comedy Cellar, right. but that were really flamboyant and big. Um, you know, she brought a guy from the audience and had him do some dance and did, things that were like visual jokes. Um, and I think that's one of her gifts is that like she's managed to do all these different forms, whether it's sketch, Movies and she's she adjusts to the form. She doesn't just say I'm bringing what my thing is. So anyways, I would say on that front, it was a quite a good year. What, what, what do you think? Who who? Well, I would as long as we're talking about Amy Schumer. I mean, she definitely still was a dominant force in comedy from the beginning of the year when she was in the Super Bowl ads for Bud Light to the end of the year where she's all over your TV for Old Navy. I think it is right. now. Would you call her passion project <laughs> in the show? She's just my passion project. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in between she she made the. The full-fledged jump from theaters to arenas. She put out a, a best-selling book that she made mega millions for, Girl with a Lower Back Tattoo. She made a movie with Goldie Hawn that's going to come out in 2017. She became very active politically with her cousin Chuck Schumer. Right. Um, not all that stuff worked. I mean, she got... Did, 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 uh, did Trump win? 
Again, Trump won. <laughs> I guess he Trump didn't... won. The gun lobby is still uh, undefeated. Right, right. <laughs> so Moment I mean, of it, silence it, here. it wasn't all, you know. And she, you know, and she also had to fight blowback on social media all year for her appearance, for her jokes, for her stan- political stances. Yeah, I mean, you could, did you see any of that in the in the DC show? That you went to? No, I didn't see any of that. You're referring to when she got all those Trump supporters walked out of a Florida show. I actually think there's two ways to look at that. One is that she's had incredible amount of blowback. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the we, can't, we probably can't even remember all the right. different mini controversies she had, whether it's about a joke about race or the be dancing to Beyonce, or all these things. But the biggest one was the the Trump uh, the Trump fans walking out. And here's why: why I think she had a you know a misstep or two this year. Mm-hmm. There was something about that moment that I thought was really unique in that there is a comedy trope of like the comedian who says something so dangerous that the audience walks out, right? I, I saw Carlin's uh, show, my first comedy show, where he's made an abortion joke with the first two rows walked out. Andy Kaufman, you know, intentionally tried to bait them to walk out, right? right. And, and comedians often occasionally will brag about this, right? I said something. I saw Bill Hicks do this and everyone right. walked out. I have trouble thinking when I when I saw that Amy Schumer thing of the female version of that kind of badass romantic uh, moment where where a walkout is a good thing, right? right. It was like like she she's I don't I wouldn't go so far to say that she baited them to walk out, right. but she she was doing material that was designed to be confrontational and polarizing, right? Because she she hasn't established herself with a reputation of say Joan Rivers, right? Where Joan Rivers was all about saying the most outlandish, outspoken things. So you knew what you were going to get if you went to a Joan Rivers show. That's a good example. Whereas Amy Schumer, there might still be people who go to her show expecting one thing and then maybe not realizing her full palette as a comedian. True. And actually, it's it's interesting you bring her up because that's I think that's a great example. And I'm currently reading... The Joan Rivers bio, which is quite good, okay. I recommend it by Leslie Bennett. And what it reminds, what it reminded me is that Joan was, of course, once like Amy Schumer. I mean, she was, she was a, uh, you know, a huge star, just a giant star mm-hmm. who had audiences who didn't know that she was going to be as confrontational, and coarse, and nasty as she could get. Um, so she is a good example of a, of a female comedian right. who was like that. I mean, of course, there were still people up until uh, Joan's last months. Who were surprised at things that Joan Rivers was writing on Twitter, and she's well, like, "Well, what do you? Th- I'm Joan Rivers. What did you expect?" From well, me? Joan Rivers Live was incredible. I mean, Joan Rivers. If anyone saw Joan, you know, if you saw Joan Rivers mm-hmm. at the Fez, Joan Rivers in a small room right. was intense. I mean, she was ferocious, and she was she was fearless. I mean, I, Joan Rivers on a red carpet in her own way was intense too. But I, I think Joan Rivers is is still underrated as a stand up. Part because she didn't play like the classic rooms, but she played constantly up, you know, to the end of her life. She right. was playing New York rooms. Well, uh, let's get back to who's performing now. Okay. Sorry about that. Who, uh, if 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 you were not going to name Amy Schumer as your MVP for 2016, who who would be near okay, the top I, of your list? My my, I'll give. Them the, I want to hear some names for you before I here's some wild I cards. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say and this has nothing to do with how famous they are. Mm-hmm. But the person who I was blown away, who I thought had the best set of the year, was uh, Rory Scovell. Okay. Um, and he was a guy who his I... His hour or a particular performance? Uh, I saw him play Caroline's. I, okay. thought, I thought his hour was good. It was great, too. Mm-hmm. He's someone who's been great for a while. Right. But uh, 
just in terms of when did I laugh louder at a show? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I went to a show at Caroline's and it was just, you know, an hour and 50 minutes of steady, huge laughs. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even, you can't, you know, pinpoint the material. Like there was this one joke, although he has some incredible line reads. Like he had a, he had a, he had a joke, which he did a variation on at that show, but he did Conan where it began with something like, um, it was like a standard observational humor. It was like, you know, what's the deal with, you know, uh, bathrooms and give him a bathroom in a, in a grocery store. And then you think he's got to start a bit. And then he pivots and he's like, answer me. <laughs> and there's something about that. I just couldn't stop. Like it was so unexpected. And so, right. and his, his show is just full of moments like that. And, uh, and I thought this was the, I thought this was the, mo- this was the year where, this guy who's kind of an experimentalist, mm-hmm. you know, would go on stage in, in a German accent. He would play the piano. He would do all sorts of crazy stuff. I thought he had – he still ma- held on to that unpredictable side while also doing, like, material that anyone was going was gonna to crack up at. And uh, I mean, I'll let you go, but I, yeah. I, I guess I guess the one other point I would make about him is I also thought it was a big year for stand-ups who lean on improvisation. Right. Um, that I think, you know, there, we've had this sort of divide between improv and stand up for a long time. And to me, those two things are blurring. And increasingly, the, there's a, a, a growing genre of stand up that, that is taking advantage of improvisation and using it in all sorts of great ways. Right. I mean, of course, Rory Scovel also showed up in Reggie Watts' Netflix special. Yes. Which is fully yes. experimental. Completely improvisational. Yeah. Improvisational. No, I think the, 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 the it was, it was so easy to write a review of Reggie Watts' special because you're never going to see that show again. Never. No, it's incredible. No, so it's I'm, not like I'm giving away no. an act that well, you're going to see. And Kate Berlant was also on it. Yes. The, 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 those three to me are an MVP. Like that to me is a genre. Is an ascendant genre, which is essentially a, an improvisational mm-hmm. style of stand-up that uh, is doing some of the most adventurous right. stuff right now. And certainly, it, you see some of that kind of spilling over into the mainstream with um, Saturday Night Live hiring Julio Torres and people like that for the writing staff, and just being like, "Okay, let's just get weird and embrace let's it." Explain who Julio but, uh, Torres is. <laughs> He's, yeah, I agree with you. He's great. Julio Torres is a, is a comedian in New York who. Um, he was also a uh, candidate for the Andy Kaufman Award right. in the past year, and uh, he's from South America, and uh, <laughs> he's just like from the stars. <laughs> I think that's very well put. That's what he, he's very deadpan, and he has a very deliberate delivery. But he's been responsible for these uh, film sketches on Saturday Night Live this season, like the boy, the well for boys who cry. And uh, there was another one where uh, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda ends up in a phone booth in a cornfield. <laughs> these very kind of just quiet but right, <laughs> but absurd moments. And um, this actually leads to my main contender for MVP of the year, which would be uh, the star of Saturday Night Live, Kate McKinnon. Ah, uh, that's a good one. Because when, you, when I think back on everything that's happened this year from the presidential election – to the fight over whether there should be an all-female Ghostbusters, to diversity in America. I mean, Kate McKinnon just, like, blazed a trail through all of it and just said, here I am, I'm brilliant. Right. And I'm not going to question who I am. And and she's just, her greatness is so great that you don't question everything else. Right, right. I mean, even 
even people who did, I loved the the Ghostbusters movie that came out this year precisely because of Kate McKinnon's character. Right. And her performances as Hillary and everybody else that she played, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yeah. um, Angela Merkel, <laughs> Angela <laughs> Merkel, um, her Bieber, for what still, she, uh... her Bieber, her Ellen DeGeneres. Mm-hmm. I mean, she won the Emmy first performance Emmy for Saturday Night Live in many years. Right. Right. Um, you know, her voice just kind of like carried us through the year. Right. Right. No, it's true. And I think it, she's become the, star of that show right. in a way that only a small handful of people have. I mean, I think obviously they have other people who are talented and it's a collaborative show, but you know, you're, you're looking for what Kate McCann's going to do this week. Right. And I mean, that was particularly true when, when, uh, you, with in the election, you knew she was going to, uh, be, you know, center stage with Hillary. And in a way, although I thought Alec Baldwin did a nice job, I thought, you know, they, they found a unique way into Hillary in a way that I'm not sure they did with Trump. Right. Which I think was, you know, it's another subject for another podcast. How, how comedy handle, how successful was comedy in finding humor in Trump? Well, I mean, that's the thing is the, like, when you have an insult comedian internet troll yeah. become our president, <clears throat> how do you approach that comedically? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the most dominant talking point. Everywhere you go for an entire year was an insult comedian. Well, even more harshly, I mean, I, an I, open mic insult comedian. I would he's not. He's, his material is not a plus. Well, let's be honest. Like the, oh, we're having all these conversations about whether or not we're normalizing him. Like mm-hmm. this, this guy has been normalized by television and comedy right. for decades. He was on uh, late night on. Uh, for, you know, since, since, since the eighties doing essentially comedy, right? right? He was in Home Alone doing comedy. Right. He was in, he was on roasts both on Comedy Central and the Friars Club. He was a guy who had relationship, you know, I, I almost get the sense, and I've actually heard a comedian or two articulate this, that there's a feeling almost of, there's feeling people feel complicit. Certainly I think, um, media people do mm-hmm. as well. I mean, he's, uh, that, um, you know, we helped create this guy. Um, and normalize him. Right. Um, and so now what, how do we, and he, and he, in a way, he's a creature of the, of the New York media and comedy and all these things. Right. We bought into the brand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, you know, if you talk to every one of these hosts, you talk to Letterman, you talk to, he's, he's an incredible guest. He was so game. He right. was, you know, he was funny. He played, he played a cartoon of himself well. He was a great guest. Right. And even, even though Hillary used that clip from Letterman, where he's mocking Trump about how none of his products were made in America, that still didn't affect people's views of him. Well, I think that's the real, that's the that's the thing you got, we have to grapple with, right? Which there's all the stuff that like, look, Donald Trump was not eviscerated by John Oliver. <laughs> John, <laughs> Donald Trump was not crushed. He was not smacked. Like I and I'm sure you too, Sean, are like f- are firm believers in the power of comedy to do great things not just make people laugh right. but make beautiful art express yourself in all kinds of complex ways um you know the the, the the you know the power of art and the power of comedy is a nearly limitless nearly <laughs> <laughs> but it's it has some limits and there's right. some things that comedy can't do and there's some things that that politics can do that comedy can't and i think we learned that this yeah. year i mean charlie Chap- chaplin could make a, a movie about hitler but that still didn't stop 
World War II or, or the Holocaust. Yes. Which um, isn't, isn't say that we shouldn't have political humor at all. I'm not saying that. But it, but it was remarkable right as we came up to the election that both, both John Oliver and Seth Meyers delivered public mea culpas for being complicit in egging him on yeah. to run. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Go, going back and showing the footage from 2011 when he was just rumored to run in 2012 and Remember all those, have, remember all those people saying, oh, it's manna from yeah. heaven. It's, this is the greatest gift to comedy. I think John Stewart is probably the first person to do that. <laughs> so, so where does that leave comedy then? What do you have in your notes? <laughs> I don't have, I mean, for, in terms of how to handle Trump? Well, no, in terms of like what, what else, what, what, what transcended Trump this year for you? What transcend, you know, what other great comedy? Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, um, other people I thought were great. Uh, let's see, more, you had a, Kate McCannon, I think, is, is the right answer. I think that, oh, was, that you. was smart. So you, 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 you win in this one. <laughs> but, uh, I'm going to give some more wild cards. Yeah, sure. Um, I've got some other names now. I actually think, when I think back at, at the specials that linger with me. Sure. One, interestingly, is Bill Burnham's. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had a, here's a guy who 10 years ago was one of the first stars of YouTube that, that went to comedy. And I would argue the greatest one in terms of the one who used YouTube and social media as a platform to, to grow as an artist. Uh, I think the kind of comedy he did, he could not have done if he went through the clubs. So right. he was, a, I mean, he was 16. He could, he could it would have been but tough also, for him in, with a piano to show up. Exactly. He at does a two drink minimum club. And, well, just formally, if you look at what he's doing, right. it's not, no one else in the clubs would do that. No, stuff. it's, yeah, it's the, the thing not he, that accessible. It's not that accessible. And the stuff he does with like the, the sound design is really mm-hmm. complex. You know, it's, it's against the, all the, the ethos of, uh, <laughs> You know, the kind of stripped down comic. All right. But that said, what was fascinating is this year, and I found this big news that like Bo Burnham came out and delivered an album that was a, a sharp critique of social media and YouTube. I mean, he essentially like, you, you know, the, the, you know, he, he was best positioned to make this critique. He had one sentence, one line, which is sort of the topic sentence of the special where he said like, I don't know much about anything. I don't, I'm not an expert or anything, but what I do know is if you have a chance to live without an audience, do it. I'm, I'm maybe mangling right. a little bit, but I found that, and it's not a joke. That wasn't a joke. That, no. that was a deeply felt, and you know, his stuff is so clever. He's not actually, he doesn't get very, you don't think of him as being very emotional or confessional, but that to me was kind of a harrowing moment that here's this guy who he's had incredible stuff for 10 years. And, um, you know, he's, we all know what he's talking about too. All of us who are on social media, think of them, who are all performing in one way or the other, right. and uh, understand what he's saying. I thought that was very trenchant, it, and it wasn't just about being a YouTube star. It was about everyone who's trying to build a brand, everyone who's you know accumulating Twitter followers and has more f- Facebook friends than real friends. You know, the <laughs> he's he's very um, mature and self-aware of of his role in the digital revolution. Yep. Yep. And what it's, I mean. B- and of course, because what it was what it's done for him, both good and bad, in terms of blowing up his spot. <laughs> totally. I had one one guy, one comic said to me, uh, who did had a different take on it. He was like, "It's like he's the guy who climbed up the ladder, and then when he got to the top, he tossed the ladder down." <laughs> he's like, oh, "YouTube sucks," but uh, that doesn't make what he said not true or or you know interesting. Right, but I mean, he w- like you said, he wasn't using YouTube the same way that people. Who are signing up now are using YouTube. Well, that's that's certainly what he says. I mean, he he his he basically it wasn't said a marketing. He said it's a wasteland tool. of, of yeah. crap. Basically, is what he says. People I mean, trying to play by some sort of playbook. 
it's com- it's become commercialized yeah. like inevitably it, it uh, you know is going to happen um and, but you know i mean it's, it's still allowed i mean if you were to play devil's advocate right it's still if you're like a 14 year old this is what they're watching they're watching right. comedians and it provides all the you know an outlet for all these people who didn't have um forums before and maybe it's it's more skewed female in a way that um clubs are more skewed male so there's there's uh, there's right. a, there's a, there's other sides to it but i thought Bo Burnham, in speaking out on this issue, was a was a, was a major player. No, he had one of the top specials of the year, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also want to mention uh, Jeffrey Ross, mm. who I think is now just going by Jeff Ross. He's matured. <laughs> uh, he's now Jeff Ross because you know this is such a year where like roasting has become a, a major art form that's now practiced in comedy clubs across the country are having the their world. own are having their own roast battles roast battle across the world across the world world he's he but he's able he was able to turn it into a successful tv venture yeah. that i saw in montreal yeah um and then he also put out his second straight roasting special mm. where he in this year where we're talking about black lives matter he did a special where he roasted the boston police department and talked to cops and kind of tried to bridge the divide between the blue lives and the black lives and the rest of us. Yeah. No, that's a good one. And I so. I will add a name to this because like you, there's no way to, if you cover comedy like we do, you had to cover roasts this year because right. the roast battle was a big trend in, in the, the other roast. And so I ended up going to see like the all the roast battles in New York and see and watching the things you watch. I thought, and the guy who, who I knew about and seen for many years, but I was really impressed was Mike Lawrence. Oh, right. Yeah, that, he won the inaugural well, even bef- battle on even, Comedy Central. Even before I saw that, just seeing him in the club, in, in clubs doing, he was so much better than almost everybody in coming up with quick, really funny insults. He's such a hard worker. He's he's gifted. I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I I always thought he was funny, but I didn't understand how gifted he was until I saw him on that and do those roast battles. Well, for the for the series that that unfolded on Comedy Central, they filmed it. During the Just for Last Festival in Montreal, and I was there, and I saw Mike every day in the hotel lobby with friends, and he was plotting out, writing jokes for every single person really? that he might face—not <laughs> just the people <laughs> he knew he was going to face, but everyone he might face. And I'm he sure, was so prepared. And I'm sure you're, you, as someone who goes goes sees comedy all the time, you, you we've you've seen Mike in like shitty like you know shows where like there's eight people shows where there's that's how, that's how he made his bone was he was yeah. willing to do every show in new york city yeah to get better no he's he's a great i mean you know putting in the ten thousand hours you you gotta respect him i mean yeah. that's the kind of guy you and people like us know where you could go to see enough and there's some people who are working really hard and it doesn't it's not it's not a simple like oh the people who work on people who are talented he's both right. he's both um and i i still don't know if that will be enough for him to become big I mean, you know, you have to. It's also some intangibles and luck and whatever. But it was a case where the, that roast battle gave him a platform to show off something. Speaking of which, there were also uh, quite a few comedians who got their own platform to show off their unique skill set on TV or streaming, as it were, uh, with the varying degrees of, of amazement. Uh, among them, uh, Maria Bamford with Lady Dynamite on Netflix, mm. uh, Tig Notaro, who keeps finding new new. Uh, New ways to tell her story with one Mississippi on Amazon, and then Donald Glover with Atlanta on FX. Yeah, who many people, myself, agree would put that as one of the best shows that came out this year. I agree. I mean, there's no question. There's no question. I mean, I think he the uh, of those three, I think that was the most successful. I mean, I think 
uh, Bamford. I think they dynamite. People slept on that. That was a really good show too. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're right that the explosion of stream, I mean, well, if you look at the history of these new, like, if you look at, like, at HBO, mm-hmm. HBO started with stand up and sports maybe. Right. Uh, and when, you know, Fox started, they had a lot more stand, they had a lot of stand up specials. And now what you see when, like, CISO starting or, when Netflix started, they made a big commitment. And the reason, of course, is because it's cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so now that you have this incredibly competitive landscape with all these new platforms, it's interesting that – not interesting. It's not surprising that there's more stand-up specials being offered than ever before. I think the other big development this year that's mm-hmm. worth mentioning that's related to this is Chris Rock signed a $40 million deal with Netflix to do two stand-up specials. And this is a guy who's been – working with HBO since the early 90s. Right. I mean, that's a major, major departure that, and I'm sure my guess is Netflix was like, we want, we want to sign you. And he's like, let me throw out a crazy number because <laughs> there's no way I'm going to leave HBO. And they gave, they said right. yes, because that's 40 million, 20 yeah. million for an hour, an hour and a half. And then Dave Chappelle followed that up with his own deal with Netflix. I mean. <laughs> That's that's some that's serious yeah. money. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what uh, comics comic pays, but <laughs> that's no, I don't pay myself that well. <laughs> the decider is, uh, you know, <laughs> no, that's so, so. Yeah, streaming is a major, yeah, is a major um, player. To this year. Which 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 leads me to the other name that continues to be a uh, trendsetter for comedy and a, and a most valuable performer is Louis C.K. Yep, who. Uh, he won the Grammy for right. his last special this year. Um, he was nominated for an Emmy, and he put out an A A list caliber series that he wrote and directed and acted in on his website. Yeah. Horace and Pete. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, this uh, this uh, I'm gonna dissent a bit. Uh, I do. I thought his I, sentence. I'm, notwithstanding what you think of the show itself, the the mere fact that he did that. True, true. No, I is I, revolutionary. Well, we have a habit of saying everything Louis does is revolutionary. It's it, what he did was incredible, and on paper, mm-hmm. Horace and Pete is like, exactly what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Like it's because it's basically a mid-century, uh, classic right. Broadway play in the style of Eugene O'Neill in a television series with the greatest. Current American theater actors that are available, um, and uh, it's set in a bar, just like Iceman Comet. I mean, it's very, and it's Annie Baker, who's probably the greatest uh, young playwright working today, a consultant on it. But I, I actually was disappointed in, in the show, although a lot of people right. loved it. Um, I, I, but I also think that, and that was one of the, I would say, so it was actually one of the bigger disappointments of the year for me. But I thought his stand-up special mm-hmm. was his best since 2010, hilarious. Um, and he's out of, you know, he's out of Well, he's even admitted that too in interviews this year. Is that, that right? That he feels like, like he's back to the form he was in before. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, do you agree? What, what do you think? No, I, I definitely think that, that, you know, I don't know whether it's things that are happening personally in his life or just the fact that he changed gears from making Louie to making Horace and Pete kind of rejuvenated him in a way but and gave him special, a spark. Like, were there a bit, like, 2010 was like the everything is amazing and, or, like, everything is... Hilarious. Like, everything is hilarious. You know, it was the bit about... It was a bit about how, like, we're, um, we're how we're take for granted right, the right. fact we're flying in a, in a plane and we're, and we're complaining about we're air sending, travel. Uh, yeah, we're sending... Yeah, we're in the cell phones. We're sending 
things up into the sky and yeah. like, flying like in a, a second. You're flying like a bird, right. right? And like I was does this current special have a bit like that? The the wait the tour that he's on or yeah the, the other or, okay. one he, where he played MSG and he's currently still playing he's playing days but he hasn't recorded that he hasn't recorded that but so. I, I thought he did one bit at the his closer on um bef- people who living before Christ mm-hmm. in BC like if you're in 10 BC <laughs> and then he did build this whole apparatus up where if like imagine you're living in 10 BC this obviously is butchering his joke but just imagine that and then it's 9 BC and then Jason eight. Zinnemann of the New York Times butchering <laughs> Louis C.K. then 7 then 6 then 5 it's like the terror <laughs> of being that person and being like what is about to happen here right. <laughs> that and the way he set that up I thought was absolutely brilliant um well I think also I mean you know we made Society, when I say we, society made a huge deal about the fact that like Beyonce could drop an album without all the marketing muscle and just be like, here it is. Right. I made something for Louis C.K. to do that, but then to do it on his website and not like he just went and he made this project and didn't tell anybody and nobody told anybody. And then it just showed up. Right. You're like, what is this? Right. I mean, but the my, chutzpah. The chutzpah. The chutzpah, but, he, but at this point, he's earned it, right? right? He's earned it. I mean, my my critique at the, the, of that of it, which I wrote at the time, which was a little bit maybe too cute for, mm-hmm. but it should be, was that like the great thing about Louis is that he doesn't listen to corporate suits and doesn't take notes from <laughs> you know networks. He has mm-hmm. he has total control of the famous Louis deal, right? But <laughs> and this is a, there's a broader point about how culture is organized today because right. everyone has their own streaming deal. The, the sort of disappearance of the suit, right? The disappearance of these sm- the the reality is they were smart suits and they're dumb suits. And some of those smart, otherwise used to be known as producers, right? Some of those producers could actually make a, a good thing great or a bad thing good. And Horace and Pete was something which could have been great if it had, I felt like a little at another voice. Once again, you're leading me right to the next topic. <laughs> uh, but before I get there, I just want to say that uh, you know. We also have to credit Louis for, for both baskets and better things yeah. coming to FX. So he's really kind of like broadening his, his umbrella to, you know, help other people. And, and he's also like brought a, allowed a number of people to open for him yes, on the arena stage. He has great openers. Which is, um, but your point about the suits and the lack thereof gets to the topic in my mind, the topic that you really wanted to sit with me. Oh, wait, but before discuss. we get into that. Oh, I, is I'll, there someone else for I, MVP I want, you want to talk well, about? Well, I do want to say just really quick. Yeah. I, I do think Pat Oswalt is oh. MVP. He won his first Grammy. Right. And I was, oh, he won the Emmy. I mean, the Emmy, I'm He's sorry. nominated for the Grammy. You're right, you're right. I'm sorry. He won his first uh, Emmy. Mm-hmm. And for special beating, I mean, Hannibal and Amy Schumer. And and, uh, and obviously his, his uh, wife passed away. And he, the day it came out. The day it came out. The day he, was it? Yeah, right. Yeah, the day, the day, day it came out. And uh, and he, you know, did an incredible set at the New York Comedy Festival. I thought right. about this material. So I think he he uh, this is. I, I will certainly remember this year. I'll remember his stuff. Uh, not that that hour was the best hour of the year. Right. But what he did was, I thought, quite moving and remarkable. Well, and I thought, and I thought this year too. You had mentioned wanting to write a story, but you didn't, you may still, uh, about how this year was really a lot about, was marked by comedians finding comedy within their own tragedies. I am doing actually a story a little bit okay. like that. I mean, that's the... You had talked about doing it before, but 
I realize you still might. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I like Sean. I have to come up with a year end uh, hook, <laughs> and it's a little bit like that. It's about yeah. it's about processing death. Right. So the, uh, um, but it means I'm not the first. Obviously, you, have, you know, Richard Pryor has you know talked yeah. about and taken care of talked about cancer. So this is something that, but um, yeah, I mean, what, what that for me also. I mean, I, I mean, I I interviewed him, and it was in, just tremendous. You know, it was humbling to to see a guy uh, go through that and still wake up in the morning and try to be funny and and uh and you know i also think what he had things he had to say about grief are really profound and i think we're i think uh spoke to a lot of people um well i guess one other name i would say yeah. is john early oh, okay who's another wild card right i mean he had he was part of the netflix the characters series but then he also uh was showing up in various uh, supporting roles in TV and movies. Have you seen Search Party? I've seen the first two episodes. I haven't seen the rest of it yet. I think it's great, and I think I mean he's been a cameoed in everything, right? right. Uh, girls, difficult people, things, yeah. love, and he's always makes whatever he's in better, right? But Search Party is his biggest role, and every time he's on screen, that show lights up. Okay, like, and I mean, if somebody doesn't give this guy his own show. <laughs> It's like this guy, he's, I mean, he's hilarious. And, and he had a, I think it was this year where he had his, um, one man show at Joe's Pub. Was it Believe Me or was it, uh, anyways, it was, it was like a, you know, mix of stand up and cabaret. Mm-hmm. That, and the guy's just bursting with talent. He's a little hard to categorize because he's, you know, he sings, he tells jokes, right. he's a commenter, he's absurd, but, uh, he's an actor, he's a great actor. But I mean, there, there is a, there is a view, he needs a Donald Glover deal. You know, and maybe next year will be the year. But something this, to showcase what he can do. This was the year that he, I think, artistically proved that point. Hopefully, 2017 will be the year that someone in. A Don't position, you think that Netflix special that he did could the characters? Could do that? Yeah, I I was sort of I think I think it didn't. The reality mm-hmm. is, not many people saw those those things. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Outside of us, I haven't seen. He'll talk about that that that, right. that that show. But you're right. It was that well, was, we're coastal elites. So. <laughs> This is true. We what are do co- we know about what people are really real, talking about? Real Americans don't know who the hell John Early is. Let's let's face it. Mm. Well, that's what we're here for is to tell <laughs> but, them. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. So, it's you, but you J O H N E A R L Y John Early. <laughs> so you wanted to get to the real. I think the into fascinating debate. The, the, the well, this this not come out drag out fight. This was a request that you made. True. Well, I was like, let's do comedy MVPs, and you said, I will, but only if we can also talk about the comedy boom. Because this is out of respect for you, because I'll, I'll just give you credit. Mm-hmm. You are the first person who made this provocative point, and I want to hear you defend it, <laughs> <laughs> which is that, and this is the point, mm-hmm. me, tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, Sean's argument is yes. the current comedy, we're in the second comedy boom, or some people say third, but basically- right. depending on what you think of Catskill's- Going to real comedy. Very true. This is a lot of this depends on what I, I I'm defining it in business terms. Okay. Uh, and um, so if it, in business terms, you know, the first comedy boom is the '80s when you had all mm-hmm. these clubs sprout up, and um, now we're in the second comedy boom, which I think most people would say started with probably Louis Ascent, um, but you might disagree. But you were arguing online and on your site, mm-hmm. I, I believe that. We are witnessing the bust, which is bad for both of us. Let's face it, Sean. This is bad. If the comedy boom busts. Well, it depends on whether whether you say it's it's busting now or whether you're just pointing out we've passed the peak. 
True. I mean, and, but it's good if you're you're the first one to call it. So that would be you're like the you're like the one guy who predicted Trump's going to win. This is so. But what's or your am I like the uh, what's this guy Kramer? Mad Money. Yeah, like, right. Exactly. Sell your stocks. Sell your stocks <laughs> in comedy. So so what's your? I want to hear what's your what's your argument for okay. why the comedy boom is over? Well, uh, I I knowing that you wanted me to talk about this, I wrote down some notes. So in in the 1980s comedy boom that busted in the early to mid 90s. Uh, we had too many comedy clubs opening across America and not enough talented headliners to play them. So what you happened, what you started to see was consumers saw someone on TV do five minutes on Caroline's Comedy Hour evening at the Improv, and then that person only had five minutes. Right. But they were getting booked to do 45 minutes, and they were going to these clubs all across America, and they were going, this is not comedy. Why don't I just stay at home and watch evening at the Improv or Caroline's Comedy Hour? Especially when you have to pay a club and a two-drink minimum. Right. So free TV was running out. <laughs> the comedy boom of the 2010s, which is starting to bust now, you're seeing too many comedy clubs now relying on social media stars because uh-huh. they're big draws. Right. Making headliners out of people known as talking heads or six-second fine stars. Uh, there's an overwhelming glut of platforms buying up hour-long stand-up specials. Right. Um it results in very few that are actually special. <laughs> and now you have the same thing where you have all these comedy clubs out there and all these venues and all these platforms. Meanwhile, you can just sit at home and just watch your favorite things and listen to your favorite podcasts, and you don't need to spend any money. To you, it's free. I mean, you're paying your internet provider or you're paying your phone company because you're paying somebody to get that delivered to your electronic screen. Right. But you'd rather do that than go to a comedy club. Right. Or go to a movie theater. These are all good arguments. So, and just like you pointed out a few minutes ago, there's a lack of suits. Mm. There's a lack of people who are curating this. Uh, everybody is kind of out for their... It's kind of like what we're seeing in politics to a degree where people are just worried about their own turf. Mm. And they're not thinking about the broader picture. So they're just thinking, well, how can I make the most money off of this comedy boom while I can? Right. So they're just glutting, flooding the market. Yeah. I mean, I would add, although I don't, I think I don't. And nobody's saying no. I don't know if I, I don't agree with you, but I'll give, I'll, <laughs> give, I'll give you one more data point to support your it argument. Was, it was the most courteous. I, yeah. I don't agree with you. <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, for, I'm gonna add an argument to your very good case, which is that, um, if you look at the 80s, the people who say that, you know, why did the 80s boom mm-hmm. bust in the early 90s? Um, and I, I, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm considering this a business point. Okay. I, I recently, I recently read a bio of a comedian, his name escapes me, um, which was about who was big in the 80s comedy boom. And, and they had some really interesting point, which was that the road basically didn't exist until the eight, till the first comedy boom. Right. Like there weren't clubs. That was the boom. Right. That was, that, that was actually the backbone of the boom is that you could, that before, you know, 1980, 1981, there was only one club, you know, that was in Washington DC where that would bring comics from out of town to show. And then, um, you know, clubs sprouted up across the country and then you could make money by going on tour 
and you, the beginnings of the road, which is a right. phenomenon that wasn't been in theater forever, right? Or rock uh, and roll. Or rock and roll, exactly. The road did not exist, right? So that is the and that that created. And so then, what happened was, as you you know, argued, as you pointed out, there were, there were so many of these clubs that the um the the quality became uh you know watered out. Right? Right. They became uh, there weren't enough out. headliners. And I think to you, play all those clubs. I think you can make a pretty good uh, anal- make a good analogy to to the digital world, right. where now we have even more quote unquote clubs. But it's you know Netflix, Hulu, you know all these you know the uh, you know HBO, right. Comedy Central, and just because there's so many of them, the the quality can't remain as high in each one where than when it was when there were fewer outlets, right? right. Um, Okay, so that's to support your point. <laughs> but uh, the reason I disagree with you is that ultimately you begin with a business argument and you end with an artistic one, right? That I, I still don't see the evidence that the business – let's mm-hmm. start with the business and we'll separate the right. two. Because I, I don't see the evidence that the business of comedy is doing badly. What I see is there's more stadium shows packed full of people than ever before. Mm-hmm. The, you talk to people who, you know, who were at the Comedy Cellar in 1996. They say it was empty or it was had trouble filling. Right. I've never been in the Comedy Cellar where it's it's empty. I mean it's packed every night. And you go to you know Union Hall. You go to all these places are packed. Uh the fact that that Chris Rock got forty million mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily suggest they think they're gonna get their money back, but they suggest that somebody thinks they're gonna make a lot of money, um, or is a lot of people gonna be interested in it. So I don't see it on a business. Uh, now this could be the the, the peak before the fall, right? Um, but I don't see a lot. there was the one piece of evidence you pointed to. I think when you originally wrote this, that Funny or Die laid off like sixty people last mm-hmm. year. Um, Vine died this year. Vine, okay, but that's true. <laughs> There's no longer a Vine. Star. Those are two good pieces of evidence, but um, but I would say you need like wait. To, the, the first comedy boom led to clubs closing. Like I haven't heard of a single club closing. There was some. I did write a piece earlier this year about comedy clubs closing, uh, smaller ones, smaller ones across the country. Huh. Um, I think I like how you. Your criticism was that I started with a business argument and ended with an artistic one. Right. Which, ironically, if I'm using ironically right, um, I think helps me, helps make my case. Okay. Because you see the fall off first with the artistic mm. before you'll see the business end drop off. Mm. That's where you actually see the consequences. Right, right, right. Where the, the, the drop off in quality will then be followed by well, first, the drop off in that assumes that people, if the quality goes down, people will stop coming, which is which has a faith in people that is maybe more than I do. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think the one's linked to the other. I think my argument is that it's not it's not an immediate right cause and effect. Well, I mean, look, that that's my I the, can, the business point. I would I would say the artistic point is that point. I also don't think think of all we've been saying for the right. last however long. There's been a lot of good comedy this year, right? But by I mean, that by that same token. I, I went through, uh, Wikipedia has a list of the stand-up comedy specials for the year. Right. And they have it broken down by season. Okay. okay. So there were 12 specials that came out January through March. Okay. There were 19 that came out April through June. There were 15 that came out July through September. There were 11 in October. <laughs> there were 12 in November. What's there that? were 12 in December. So what's the, I don't get it. What's the point? Each of the last three months equaled the quarters before... <laughs> Right, like this right, right, fa- right. this fourth quarter has as much 
there's as there's as much new hours of stand up original quote unquote original stand up content. There's as much original stand up content yeah, but being I, dumped on the no, I guess, but, but, dump, but being why dumped on consumers this quarter than there were all of the first three quarters of the year. But why couldn't you take that same piece of information and conclude that more people than ever are interested in comedy, and thus there's more people are going into it, and there's more good specials. I mean, if I honestly, my problem, my problem with the artistic argument is that I don't see, mm-hmm. you know, oh, we're in this period where there's no one doing interesting work. If anything, what I see is there's more diversity. I think the greatest argument for comedy right now is that you have comedy of this huge scale, like stadium comedy, right. more than ever before. And you also have really adventurous avant-garde comedy, like people we talked about, Reggie Watson, coexisting at the same right. time. That compare that to 1996, mm-hmm. right? Did they now? You know, I have another pet theory, which is that this whole boom thing is a fiction. And that actually, you could make a good argument that the period between the two booms was the most artistically exciting period. Of course. Right? That's when I was actually doing comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Sean McCarthy era. As, 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 as all thinking people of refer to the, it as. The comics comic <laughs> would be peaking when <laughs> at the nadir of stand-up comedy. That's when I was at my best. Come on. Um, well, I mean, you know, it's true that a decade ago there were zero arena performers and now there are at least a dozen. And that's just the Americans. No. <laughs> not counting the, right. well, I mean, not counting, we were talking earlier about how there are comedians who are huge in the UK. That's true. Who are arena acts over there. Does Russell Peters count? He's an arena act? He's not an American, though. No, he's Canadian. He's Canadian. Yeah. Although he has had a house in Los Angeles for quite some time. When's the worst year for comedy, Sean? What do you think? Of the past, like, 30, say, like, from the 80s on now, what's the worst period? We're, we're oh, talk- period or year? It's like year. You could ballpark it. We're talking all this good stuff. What's something, what's the worst What's the year that we, that things hit bottom? I mean, I feel like 94 or 95 wasn't a great year. 90, why is that? I don't, uh, maybe I'm thinking about me personally. <laughs> Get out of yourself. <laughs> the world's bigger than you, Sean. <laughs> I, I'm thinking whatever Dane Cook was at his height. <laughs> like well, when, no, he, see, when they, Dane Cook was playing Master well, of Art, well, no, 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 no disrespect to Dane Cook, but... There was th- that moment. He mm-hmm. well, he was the greatest comic. People thought he was like right. the biggest comic. Of well, the that day. was that was two thousand six. Has there ever been a worse greatest comic of the moment? I'm, again, I'm not taking the day, but like, has there ever been like Robin Williams was, Sean Steve Martin was? Uh, well, what I mean. Even in Andrew 19, Dice Clay. I was just gonna even say. Even Dice Clay. I was gonna who, say. By the way, I interviewed this year. We should put him on this list. He was. I saw Andrew Dice Clay had a set at on Fallon, mm-hmm. which was not good. Oh, really? Do you see it? Maybe I only saw the edited version <laughs> that's was, online. No, that's all I saw too. It oh, was. Okay. I mean, it was. I was interested to see, it, and it did make me it made me think. Wow, this guy was once the biggest comic right. in America, and this and basically doing the same thing. Right. That was like, 1990. Times have changed. Um, I mean, comedy wasn't that great then. Um, you know, I think you're giving Dane Cook too hard a time because what Dane Cook was doing in 2006 is not that different from what Kevin Hart is doing in 2016. It's his personality. I disagree. You're saying Dane Cook is, you're saying 
I'm saying I'm saying Kevin Hart is the Dane Cook of 2016. No, that's true. That 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 that's true. But I and again, I'm I'm not saying Dane Cook. This isn't a slight. Dane, Dane Cook was the biggest com- comic, right. and he was in in his own way good at what he did. But Kevin Hart is much better than Dane Cook as a performer, in my opinion. And he's and he's much bigger as a bit and, and as like a bit as like an industry. Right. He's much more successful too. But if you've seen a Kevin Hart, like you could make an argument that Kevin Hart is the is. You know, there's no one better at doing spectacle mm-hmm. in comedy today. I mean, than Kevin Hart. Right. What did Dane Cook do though? So he plays that he just ran around in circles, and his material wasn't that great. Was you know, was fine, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like he put on a, an incredible show. I mean, to me, Kevin Hart is a much. You're right. He is the key is the Dane Cook, but he's a much better version. And yet, if it were not for Dane Cook, comedians wouldn't have realized the power of social media. Well, he definitely was a, a, a trailblazer. He's, he's, he's significant. He's important. I, I don't deny that at all. But they would have figured it out. People were just farting around on MySpace. And then the second his CD came out and hit number four on the Billboard charts, everybody was remaking. But someone would have and figured starting someone, a MySpace page. Someone else would have done that. Comedians. Have you tried talking to comedians today? <laughs> They're not, they're not business minded. They're not yeah. ambitious. They're not, they're not business mind, minded ambitious. They don't think about marketing. They don't think about. But they want to be, they, they want to be successful, famous like anybody else. And there's a forum. But they're lazy. All right. Well, they work one hour. They work a half hour. This is an impossible take. argument to resolve. I argue that someone would have figured it out. You don't. Who knows? Well, but, right. Somebody else would have figured it out. Also, but it was Dane Cook who did it. So I don't. I don't want to be Dane the Cook guy me. who's taking cheap shots at Dane Cook. Because <laughs> especially like, in 2016. But, but no, my my point is merely this: is, mm-hmm. is that that was a bad. That to me was the least interesting period in comedy. Now. On the, it also, I think, 2006, 2006 was like right after Chappelle shows done, I believe. Right. So you have he left in 2004. The early 2000s were kind of interesting, and you had uh, in the late 1990s you had the birth of kind of American alt comedy. You had mm-hmm. on Cabaret in the West Coast. You had Luna Lounge. You had all this. You had you had people do, you know, loosening up what what was a stand up set. Then you had Chappelle show, which I think is really you know a game changer. Mm-hmm. Then Chappelle show leaves. Nothing replaces it as good, and what replaces they, it is Dane Cook. No, what replaced it was Carlos Mencia. Okay, Carlos Mencia, exactly. That's, this is Comedy what, Central so, leaned on Carlos so Mencia. 2006, you have Carlos Mencia and Dane Cook are the, are the you know, they're... Right. And then 2007 was the ascension of Jeff Dunham, so... I think I think you're making my point for me. This is the worst era, right before the current boom. I don't think we'll ever go back to those dark ages. <laughs> Well, under President Trump, we'll find out. <laughs> I guess. Now, you could say maybe that, that improv was better back then. I mean, they had, there was more right. fertile, there was more talent going. Well, I mean, at that same time, you had the Comedians of Comedy Tour, which was turned into a movie. That's true. That was like, you know, exploring the idea of using rock clubs as comedy venues. Right, right. But that happened so. a little, yeah, no, you're right. That's right. That was, that was, well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, I do think this back to the other point that this period in between booms was quite interesting as a people trying new things. And maybe if you're right that we're about the boom is about to bust, maybe we're getting ready for like a particularly interesting period. No, and I think I think the fact that you you mentioned so many interesting experimental comedians as the highlights of your year kind of points the way toward a more braver 
<laughs> year in comedy in 2017. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah, let's yeah. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well end it there. Yeah, this was fun, Sean. This Thanks a fun. lot, Jason. Let's yeah. do it again next year. Uh, I'd love to. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.